It's football commercial season. Become a USA Today Ad Meter panelist and watch and rate the big game commercials. You'll be entered to win a trip to the big game in 2022 just for registering. Sign up now and see official rules at admeter.usatoday.com. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. All right, here it is, you guys. The last show before Super Bowl 55. The thing we've been building up to all season, Kansas City Chiefs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I, yeah, are you guys excited? No, I'm exhausted. This is it. This is, I, this is the game, man. I can't even deal with one more game. I'm sorry. Even if Pat Mahomes is in it. You've been, you've been talking about the Chiefs all season. You, you were steadfastly behind the Chiefs. You and uh, what, a, are. what a limb I went out on there. Man, you're right, man. It's, it's tough. It's, I mean, you're, you're, this is I'm what great. I like about you. I mean, you have insight. You, uh, you see things coming before the rest of us. Uh, you know, this is, have you guys seen, uh, you guys seen Pursuit of Happiness, right? With yes. So you know the yeah. part when he gets, when he finally gets the job, and he's walking down the street and he's like slowly pumping his fists in the air. That's what I'm going to do when that clock hits triple zero on Sunday night. Oh my God. <laughs> And what what, the, what what has the NFL done to make it so that two guys who love football, you guys spend so much time, and, and here we are, and you're just you're, uh, you're worn out. For me, check the Washington Post from a few months. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> and for everyone else, just check the news or like everything that's happened in the past year. <laughs> so so the so this is coronavirus's fault. All right, that and and, and, and Manish, yeah, yeah. 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 which uh, which is also influenced by coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, welcome to the counter. Uh, oh, I'm Chris Corbin, uh, joined by Stephen Ruiz and Charles McDonald. We cover the NFL for For the Win. We have a really exciting show today. We we are bringing on, uh, if you listened to our last show, we brought on the nerds. Uh, we brought on a couple super analytical thinkers, uh, Namita and Keegan, to dig in on some numbers. Uh, today, we're looking a little bit more at people who... Uh, really enjoy watching film and can take us through sort of scheme and what's going on when they watch uh, these two teams play. Uh, That's Nate Tice and Deontay Lee. Um, We've had Nate on the show before. Deontay just started writing for PFF, uh, but he's been great on Twitter for a while before that. Uh, So they're going to dig in on that. Uh, We have great conversations coming. Really excited for you guys to hear those. Just wanted to go over some of the stuff we're doing. Uh, We published today our strategy guide posts, uh, which this is the carryover that we did last year for the Chiefs Niners game, and it turned out really well. Uh, This is essentially like a deep dive on how these two teams play. It's a little bit different than... um, some of the other stuff we've done earlier in the week, and it's it's not as QB focused. Uh, that's what I really enjoy about it. It's sort of like everything else going on in the field, uh, trying to figure out how that works. Uh, and these guys really dug in on that and tried to figure out, um, you, you know, what uh, really helping you to to figure out what to watch as this game goes forward and, and sort of how it's unfolding because the Super Bowl is 
a really difficult football game to watch. Uh, there's so much going on. Like even when you're there, it's it's a bizarre game to watch because it's so truncated. Like there's there's long commercial breaks. Like the players never really seem to get in rhythm. Uh, it's it's just a it's it's a little bit of a different football game. So this I I really view this as sort of like a a viewing guide that helps you understand. Uh, sort of what's going on. Uh, so I hope you find those posts. And Steven looked at the film from the Week 12 matchup and uh, broke down what the Bucks need to learn. Uh, basically decided there is no, there's no like overarching lesson. There's no way to stop the Chiefs, but a few little tidbits of how they might take this forward and uh, approach this matchup. Uh, we're also going to get into that with our guests. Uh, Nate is going to focus. Nate's a former quarterback uh and what worked for nfl teams so he's going to sort of take us through the offenses and what he has seen with these two units and what makes them unique and how he thinks they'll fare this weekend so let's uh bring in nate tice now all right now we're turning to our old friend nate tice his second appearance on the show haven't talked to you for a while nate uh you can hear nate regularly on the athletic football show uh nate what's going on man how are you I'm doing well. We were just talking. I was trying to figure out the last things we talked about when I was on here. And it was just, yeah, it was a little bit, uh, thank God I watched some Cardinals film this summer <laughs> from 2015. So I'm pretty, you know, I think that's the last time we were, we were on here was talking a little bit about that, but everything's good. It's Super Bowl week. I think you had the optimistic viewpoint on Tom Brady joining the Bucks, and now they're in the oh. Super Bowl. Yeah. So victory I wish, so I, wait, wish you, I was ballsy enough to like put a bet on it or something, but I was just like, yeah, I think it'll be good. But yeah. <laughs> so you, you can, you can gloat about that. And the fact that the watching the Cardinals tape, like I think Steven poked fun at you for like the fact that you were just reeling up some, some Cardinals film, but I, he's not wrong in making fun of me. I'm not like, you know, <laughs> he, like he just lucked movie. into that. He just yeah. lucked into it. Let's uh, be honest. Nah, it's it's <laughs> work ethic. Broken clock, right twice a day. That's 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 my motto. Like if, I've always said, like you know, in Game of Thrones, they all have the the sigil, like the, you know, they have the, the deer or whatever. Mine would just be a broken clock. There, so I, I, think, I think that would be mine. There's an alternate universe where Blaine Gabbert started for the Bucks this year, and and uh, his knowledge of the the Cardinals offense isn't so useful at this time of the year. <laughs> and, then, and then I wasted my time watching a thousand reps of duo. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, so we, we asked Nate to come on to uh, focus a little bit on the offenses. Uh, we're going to have Deontay Lee on to talk about defenses. And we wanted to start, Nate, just by asking you if you had to explain, you know, because you watch these, you watch film of these games it's so in depth and you've, you've been around NFL teams before and been around the game for a long time. You know it at a, at a deeper level. But if you had to sort of translate it for, uh, us regular folk, uh, what are the differences between these offenses? Like, what, what, how would you describe each offense if you were trying to help someone understand what they're seeing? Yeah, the, what Arians has liked to do, and honestly, you could watch even when he was a quarterback coach with the Colts with Peyton Manning, is you know, that's why Tom Moore has been part of his uh, staffs with the Cardinals and now in Tampa. Is it's I call it almost like a power offense in the sense that everything is at you. Um, the run game isn't, they don't run power. They don't even pull any of their guys ever, but it's, they only run three runs 
And then the pass game, everything is vertical. They don't believe in quick game at all. Um, so they put a lot on their players to make plays. Uh, a lot of their stuff is designed to this guy is going to be open on this pass play. And we know it's 20 yards down the field, but like, yeah, get it to them. <laughs> and, and in the run game, they run, you know, I made the joke, but it's uh, the run play. They love to play called duo and duo is it's described as power without the polar. So that kind of describes their run game right there. And they run a couple of runs off of the same looks, but they ask their receivers to block. Um, they are comfortable being in 12 personnel. They are comfortable having like their whole team has to block in their game because what they're saying is we have to sell these runs, even if they're only going for three yards so we can set up just shots left and right and deep passes and everything is just at you, at you, at you. They were putting heat on you constantly. Um, and I think on the flip side is the chiefs offense is just, you know, almost like just magic. Uh, it's, <laughs> It's it's uh, you can't no one's going to be able to ever recreate what's going on with the Chiefs right now. Um, that's why it's kind of fun to watch. It's to, the only comparison I can ever make is the Warriors, the recent Warriors offenses and teams. It's just unique circumstances, unique build. And just like those Warriors teams got built around Curry and Clay Thompson being two of the best shooters of all time. The Chiefs are like, OK, rather than try and rope our on once in a generation, once in a lifetime uh, talent, let's unlock it and just lean into it. Let's pass all the time. Let's everything be vertical, everything be looping and moving. Let's be fine with stuff getting off script. And let's basically have designed scramble drills. Like they just run this freewheeling offense. They don't run as much stuff as you would think they do, the Chiefs. But it looks really good when you have number 15 at quarterback and you have the tight end they do and Tyreek Hill. But what they do is they're just running much. Like I said, the bucks are going to just run their stuff no matter who they're playing against. Same kind of with the chiefs and they're saying, Hey, you have to stop it. It's just that theirs is just pure heat. And it's just uh, as if the bucks are a power offense, the chiefs are just a, a speed offense. Like they, everything is to, to, I think this is the best way to describe the chiefs offense rather than save a play is third and eight. Rather than trying to get eight yards exactly or nine yards just to get the first down, they're trying to hit score a touchdown. <laughs> it's always every play is attacking you um, to score a touchdown as opposed to just getting the first down. They've trying to they don't really care about efficiency. It's all about explosiveness, <laughs> and it's really fun to watch. Like, but it's just something that we probably won't ever see again, as because Patrick Mahomes is a guy we probably will never see again. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that analogy of the of the Warriors team because even it's it's almost even a little similar in the way that they're constructed because like both offenses are centered around the big three and then at some point it was just two like at one point it was Steph Curry and Clay Thompson at one point yeah. it was just Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and then you add the unicorn and it all kind of takes off for you uh, and that's where the dynasty starts and even the way that you know you can go back to that Houston Texans game from last year in the playoffs where. They would score four touchdowns in like 10 minutes of game time or something mm -hmm. like that. Obviously, some of that had to do with Bill O'Brien just being a complete host. <laughs> but like the way they score in bunches, the way no lead safe, it, it's just it's just a sight to behold. And like the, even if you go back and watch the first game between these teams, Tyreek Hill had something like, what, 250 yards in the first half or something yeah. like that. He had a 44-yard touchdown on third and eight. And I posted the third and eight, the third and seven plus throws from that game last night from Mahomes and it, it's just they make the impossible look so easy. I just don't know how you even begin. To it's dumb. 
It's dumb. Yeah, so dumb. So, okay, okay, wait. I want, I want comparisons. The, the Chiefs and the Warriors. Who's who? Who's who's uh, KD? Because I think Kelsey is KD, and then Tyreek and Mahomes. They're ju- they're just Steph and Clay. I can't like individualize it. Those two are those two. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean Curry's got to be Mahomes to right. me just because the. As a Clay is an all-time shooter, but then you just and just like Hill is an all-time speed guy, or really just receiver at this point, because that's the underrated thing with Hill. It's just not only is he fast, it's he runs routes. <laughs> that's that's the misconception with them. Everyone thinks he's just a take the top off guy, but no, right. he he runs five yard out routes and turns into fifteen yard gains <laughs> because he can. Um, but I think that's kind of like Clay. It's like oh, he's just a jump shooter. It's like no, Clay could actually you know lock it down on defense and do all the other things too. So I, I I think Curry Mahomes is the easy comparison though just the generational talent with an offense and uh, people around him that truly unlocks him. Who's Draymond? <laughs> Draymond. Draymond. Just like the defense. <laughs> <laughs> just the whole defense. Yeah, sometimes he just yeah he just he can cover all five positions. Sometimes it's ugly and, so, <laughs> and like I don't know. <laughs> That's my only comparison. Frank, Frank Clark is the uh, the part of Draymond that will kick people in the balls. If yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Tyron Matthew is the the Swiss Army knife. You know, he, that's, he's the basketball uh, IQ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that comparison. <laughs> what what do Tom Brady and the rest of the Bucks offense need to do against the Chiefs defense to, to keep pace? Because I feel like that that's the question when you get into the Chiefs in the game against the Chiefs. You know it's going to be a shootout. Now, what do you have to do in order to keep up? Yeah, you know with. What I've been loving about oh shoot, loving about the the sorry, can this get cut out? That, that's Byron Leftwich calling Nate for this and asking the same exact question. He needs, he needs that. Advice. Come on, pick it up, pick it up. Hold on one sec. So you know what with, with with what the Bucks have to do is like well they're always Arian. What's good and bad about Arians is that he's always going to just run what he runs. He's going to get into hip formations. He's going to move the receiver in. He's going to run duo. And I think that's always what they do. They're going to just go, okay, we have our plays. How are we going to just a little tweak, maybe go stack formation or something of that sort. I was a little more, they're going to have to fight fire with fire and wad it up and protect stuff and, and go at the, the chief's defense. But I, the Bucks are willing to do that. It's there's a couple clips that make me think it's like even when the Bucks have answers, the Chiefs defense is still crazy enough to cover everything. There's a play where Antonio it was like third and three. Antonio Brown is lined up in the backfield, and the the Bucks just run like a simple drive concept with Antonio Brown on a wheel route, and in that it, it, the Chiefs defense was in a cover zero look, and they just passed off the drive concept like it was nothing. Like, they, no one was panicked. Like, oh, my God, the ball is going to get out. The pressure gets home. Brady's forced on the throw, and, and it's incomplete. And, and that's it. And it's one of those things where I'm watching that, and I'm like, oh, my God, even with these designery plays, the Chiefs still have an answer uh, for it. But on the flip side is there was the the, the chess game that I, I had a little thread on, which was so cool to watch. Was it was Bucks speaks to what the Bucks do and what the Chiefs defense are doing. Is Brady was bringing brought the tight end and brought in Gronk to help with the protection out of empty, and in that you know the defense is Spags is going to bring pressure against empty formations. He's not a guy that sits and drops eight and lets you find an opening and runs cover two. He's going to bring heat at you and make the quarterback throw hot. 
that's that's his philosophy and he's willing to do it over and over and the bucks knew that they get into empty they see what spags's empty pressure of the week is against them first one it goes incomplete the the second one on it they bring the tight Gronk uh, back in they run like a little quick stick route and uh the chiefs adjusted on it by dropping the dn to the field because the first time they Bucks brought Gronk in. He helps with protection. So what the Chiefs did after that series go, okay, we're going to drop this guy into coverage because Gronk's blocking. We don't have to worry about him. Okay. So the second one happens just like a little stick route. The third time they get into empty, Gronk gets brought back in. He's sitting down. The Chiefs DN stands up. But then this time the Bucks ran uh, Gronk down the pipe with a DN trying to cover him like 30 yards down the field and it goes for a big gain. It was a hell of a throw and a catch. And that was a fun little chess match just in the first half. But that shows what the Bucks are aware of what the Chiefs are going to try to do, but they still have to find the answer. I think that's the best way to put it. They put Antonio Brown in the backfield, gets covered up. They are trying to be aggressive, but the Chiefs defense can win sometimes too. I think just the Bucks have to just keep stick with their run game, even if it might not be pretty sometimes, and hit some shots. I think that's the best way to get after this defense. So I had a theory on on Spags and how he calls games. And this is just based off this game, the Week 12 game, and then the first game against Buffalo. I haven't watched the last week's game against Buffalo yet, really. But it seemed like he was throwing all that crazy stuff at them in the first half. And by the time they catch on and the Bucks, like you said, they eventually caught on. It was like, sec- I think it was second quarter when he hit that throw to Gronk. Maybe it was third. And then after that, in the second half, it's just he played more of the too high conservative stuff. He still threw some blitzes in every now and mm-hmm. then. But it seems like he that's his kind of M.O., at least this year. And maybe it makes sense because you have Patrick Mahomes and you're going to score 30 by the fourth quarter. And by then you're just protecting a lead. Is that something you see or am I just crazy? No, I, I think – no, I don't think that's crazy at all. It's – Spags is – I've talked about this on the podcast with Robert, is that Spags gets unlocked because he is every week uh, – uh, you know, the game plan every week, he's very game planning. Like he's going to change up what he's going to run. And like I said, I kept saying about the empty pressure and, and, and this is, you know, coming out like the empty pressure changes every week. When you're, when you're game planning for a defense, especially one that brings as much pressure as Spags does. I love how I always face Spags, by the way, like I know him, I've met him once in my life, <laughs> but like, you know, but like Spags does is every week, those, you put together a protection plan. It's usually the O-line coach and the assistant O-line coach. They get together with the coordinator, say, hey, what do, you, what do you have? What protections are we running this week? All right, these are the blitz looks. Okay, how, what's our rules and answer to all these blitzes that we've seen this year? And some teams are easier than the other. Some takes forever. Some of it's just, you know, there's five of them we have to worry about on this down and distance. Spags is so game planny, and what I mean by that is week to week he changes what he brings. So every week he has a different empty pressure. Every week he has a different this. In the playoffs, that's why Spags just gets unlocked because it's like he doesn't have to worry about trends or anything he put on tape. He just gets to design what he wants to, and he he gets his guys so well coached that they can run it and cover things like the drive route. Um, you know, while they're bringing a cover zero pressure, and with that, that's a pain in the butt for an offense to try and figure out because. Yeah, you might have rules for it, and you might have, oh, I want to, I want to run this thing, I want to run this thing. But then it's like, oh, that blitz that we just prepped for the whole week, 
they didn't even run it once and they're bringing something completely new and he's putting strain on you to adjust. And I think like you said, it's like, as the game went on, he got away from, he gets away from it when the game gets out of hand. But then every once in a while, he kind of does the big brother stuff. Like I'm not hitting you. I'm not hitting you. I'm not hitting you. And then he brings a cover zero (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you know, and there's drives too. Like even in this last game against the Bucks, week 12, they had a series where they just all of a sudden ran spot drop, like cover two. And it was like, I think that's just what it is. He just changes up every drive, what he's about to bring, and every week what he's about to bring. Nate, we were joking before the uh, b- before we started recording that, you know, that game, that Week 12 game is the most watched game <laughs> this week. Everyone is going back and looking at that. But uh, what what has Tampa Bay done differently? You know, Tom Brady appears to be playing better since that game. Uh, are there certain things that change to make uh, the picture clearer for him? And and what did they learn? You know, that game was obviously tough for them in all facets, but uh, did, did that force any evolution in their offense over the rest of the season in the playoffs? Yeah, that, that first iteration uh, or that kind of thread I was talking about where there was adjustments made by the uh, by the Bucks offense, you know, bringing Gronk back in, that whole sequence, like right there was a change that I've seen from that 2015 Cardinals offense to now. Arians loves his place. He hasn't changed in decades or he really hasn't. Um, I think why it looks newer now or i don't know if you want to say newer but modern now is that he is fine being 11 personnel and 12 personnel so as the rest of the league went more 11 personnel it's you know it looks more normal um but like that play where he brings uh, brady brought gronk back down back down arians doesn't do that he is a guy that he calls his plays it should have answers to everything he run he likes to run a lot of concepts that have answers to no matter what coverage you run andy reed other coaches I know will run stuff knowing that, hey, they, they run cover one on this or cover three on this. All right, we're running a cover one or cover three play. Aaron's does that a little bit, but everything has answers. And But he goes, we're calling this play. We're calling trolley and run it. There's no check. There's no kills. There's no nothing. The fact that Brady was able to bring Gronk back down to protect, that's a Brady thing. That's mm-hmm. Brady figuring out in this offense, how can I get answers where I'm more comfortable doing what I want to do? Right there was a perfect iteration of that. Arians would never allow that before, even with Carson Palmer. And oh, there's other plays. Like uh, a lot of things, even the plays that Arians runs, like I said, he hasn't, doesn't change much. But maybe the ones that he's emphasized with Brady has changed a little bit and the merging of ideas. I would say with Carson Palmer, there's more field throws. There's a lot of deep, more deep comebacks, deep corner throws. Brady can do that, but he likes his cross field reads. He likes going from left to right on his reads or right to left on his reads. Uh, it seems like Arians realized that it was really the bears game. That kind of uh, was when I first started seeing it a little bit more. And that's when you see Gronk on the overs, Godwin on the overs, he, um, you know, uh, Cameron Brait on over routes. And a lot of that stuff is working left to right, right to left. And that's what Brady likes to do, especially off play action. And I think that's when uh, Arians was kind of like, oh, okay, these are, that's what he likes. So they, they started dialing up that more. Byron Leftwich did when he was calling plays. So I think that's where you're seeing a little bit more merging of the ideas as the season's gone along. But this is still Arians' stuff. I would still say this is 90 two percent bruce arians byron leftwich offense and then a couple things that brady is getting a little more comfortable with like the qb sneak <laughs> that's another thing is arians is as aggressive he is as a play designer and a play caller his fourth and one play calling is still a little 
you know, not up to par. And I think also when he realized he had a cheat code, like a, a, a Tom Brady QB sneak, he was like, oh, I can do that now rather than running duo one more time. And it, I, I think he was like, you know, an old dog learned a couple new tricks. I think a lot has been made of, I don't even know if it's increased or not, but uh, uh, the increase in the rate of uh, the usage of motion is that something you're seeing on film? Like I kind of saw it in the Bucks game or in the the Chiefs game in the second half. They started motioning Chris Godwin across the formation, but like I I went back and looked at the earlier games and they were doing it back then. So I don't think it's as big of a deal as people have made it out to be. Do you think they've used motion differently in the last two months? No, I I think there has been a couple plays that and they seem more like in the high red zone or uh, a third down look, which is plays that are going to be more designer plays i think everyone just saw that ghost motion with scotty miller and then the screen to gronk and everyone's like oh my god like the bucks are just throwing all this modern stuff in there and it's like that's just a classic play design (laughs) and you know i i've seen a couple plays where they'll have they had like antonio brown on like a uh brady was in the gun they had him on like a long almost jet sweep motion one time but I, I don't see anything worth anything to write home about, like anything that is more a more of an emphasis. I've seen them run this stuff before. I think it's just a, a design element. It's more not more like we're making our whole offense like the Rams and the Titans are running jet sweep motion every single play. It's more like, oh, we re- this is Bruce Arians. This is how he thinks. I really like this play. How do I how do I influence their defense on it? Okay, all right, a jet motion. Okay, we'll throw it in there on that play. That's all it is. He just designs stuff that it looks cool. Like <laughs> it's not it's not some overarching theme and philosophy about transcending offense and being as twenty twenty one as he can be. It's just it's he just likes ball plays <laughs> and he's just yeah. I'm gonna throw a jet sweep on here to because uh, I want that safety to rotate down. Something like that. That's all he's doing. That's the that's the Cliff Kingsbury approach. Just it doesn't matter if it's a smart play call as long as it looks cool. <laughs> we're gonna run it. <laughs> no, that is this. From the Chiefs' perspective, you know, if you're them, do you even bother running the ball? Like just knowing that like, we, we were just looking up the Chiefs' offensive line before the game, and we were all like, "Who in the hell are these people?" <laughs> that are about to be Nick Allegretti. That's, yeah. that's who we learned about. Yeah. Some guy who's played every week and like half the season, never heard of him. Uh, but they're about to go up against Vita Bay, Steve McClendon, Devin White, uh, Levante David. Like, if you're them, do you even bother running the ball? Especially because it's not like Kansas City's running back talent is is that special. Yeah, I and you know what's so funny is I test that my my first theory was like, oh, I'll be curious, you know, if the Chiefs get heavy and try to run a ball against he- you know heavy looks, or they try to run a ball against nickel sub looks. And, uh, you know, Bucks run defense is pretty damn good against both. So there was no like real obvious glaring weakness. I think I don't think there is much running the ball that the Chiefs will do. I think it's a lot of the similar game plan that they did the first time around week 12. I think those runs are a lot more of a, a change up kind of like, OK, let's give her, you know, they've been running cover to this drive because that's what uh, Bulls will do. The same thing kind of Spags will do. It's kind of funny, actually, by the way, is that when I look at both defenses and I'm trying to like come up with a game plan for the offense, I kind of had the same answer for both, which is maybe pass out of 12 personnel or, you know, uh, I, I think getting it as condensed as possible as a chief's offense, but then passing out of that is the burn sharp has entered the chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I made the same observation 
base for the Chiefs. Just I think they should run more twelve personnel because the Bucks are matching it with their base defense. Yep. And their base defense stinks against the pass. Like they they'll play just basic spot drop cover three cover and have three. have like Jason Pierre Paul dropping into the flat, yep. and it's just like, oh god! And it's old school spot drop stuff. When we we I was with the Raiders, we played the uh, Jets in 2017. When I broke down the Jets, it was actually other than third down. Third down got a little difficult, but all their base down stuff was like the easiest thing to like do the data entry on because it was like every time they were in base, they ran like one of two fronts, and a lot of those fronts, it's a bare front, which makes sense given their personnel. But that's just what Bulls likes to run. Um, but when you, as an offense, know what you're getting almost every time you get into like a personnel or a formation, that's that that it's pretty easy to game plan. Um, even if, but if the players are pretty badass, you know that that's what limits it. Um, but like when they're in base personnel, even if they want to run, I know this was your original question, Chuck. Like if they want to run out of base, like they'll run nothing probably but like counter, um, maybe like a split zone play. But there's no real need to because I think passing game-wise, like you said, is once they get into base personnel, it's so predictable. It's spot drop cover three, it's man pressure, and a couple snaps of cover two. And Mahomes getting that, that's like that's scary. Like he's just like, okay, you're going to run spot drop cover three. We, we saw what happens in cover three in the national championship game. Like if you know that's what you're getting every single time, that's pretty easy to dice up. Um, I, I think – um, a little spoiler, we probably will talk about with Robert on the podcast, but I think we're going to see a lot of sale routes from the Buck, uh, from the uh, Chiefs offense. I think it's going to be because um, that's those are cover three beaters. I think we're going to just see Kelsey on sale routes from heavy personnel, and then when they get into lighter personnel, I think that's uh, you'll see one of the receivers getting getting sale routes, or um, even Wasp would be the extreme version. But something of that sort, a lot of outbreakers like that with flats and goes. And I, I think you see that a bunch of times this game. But, yeah, back to your original question, Chuck, I don't see it a real need to run the ball other than just change-ups. Um, if they run the ball 12 times, I think that's fine. But I, it's the Bucks run defense is legit of all legit run defense, especially with Vita Vea back there. And I, yeah. I really think, like, the Bucks are going to decide how much the Chiefs run. Because yeah. they ran a lot of RPO in that Week 12 game. And I think Mahomes threw, had 10 attempts passing attempts on those plays and they only ran it like twice mm-hmm. so if i'm the bucks like i mean i know this is your philosophy and this is how you got to the game but something in me would just be like we got to just make sure he hands it off and i and, like you look at those plays and most of the time you'd be like oh mahomes should have handed it off there and he throws it anyway so maybe you can't control it but <laughs> i don't know if i'm the bucks i'm just like daring them to run yeah i uh, my my thinking with it is I, I actually think the Bucks are going to run, especially on passing down, so on second along and third down, I, which is weird to say that because I, I think Mahomes is so re- readily available to scramble, but I think it becomes a two-man game. And I think that what the Bucks do is just say, we're going to run as many games and twists and stunts as possible up front, try to create some edginess, maybe a cheap sack or two. Don't bring pressure as much. They're going to bring pressure. Bulls can't help himself. But it's... But I think it becomes a two-man game, and Mahomes, they're going to just dare Mahomes run the ball over and over. Or that's why I also said, like, I think those sale routes are become very viable this game because those are good against two-man. Um, so that's why I think there's going to be sale, uh, there's going to be like four or five sale balls, I think, this game by the Chiefs. The Kelsey and Hill or whatever receiver. If it's base personnel, I think it's the Kelsey. If it's a sub-personnel, 11, or t- uh, 11 personnel, I think it goes to Hill or another receiver. Um, I, I think that's their best plan. 
I, I think they that it's not the best. I mean, it's not the greatest plan in the world, but it's you're what you're doing is you're just daring. You're taking out a whole bunch of plays that the Chiefs love to run. You're getting a double team on Kelsey and Hill, just a natural double team, even if it might not be the best version of it. It's still not a good one. And you're just saying, all right, Mahomes, we're, we're going to make you carry the ball eight times. Maybe we'll get a couple hits on you, or we'll get a couple cheap sacks as you try to scramble around, throw somebody open. With two man, two man is a pain to go against as an offense because there's only a certain amount of good plays against it. Um, everyone knows what the plays are. It's just you still have to, you know, execute it. And I think that's why we might see that. I think the Bucks are just saying, hey, let's just at least make it hard on them. Um, even though, even no matter what stat you look at or what coverage Mahomes faces, he shreds it. So, so I think it's just one where. You change up looks and you run two man. I think that's going to be their best option. It's not the greatest option, but I think that's what it is. They ran a couple of snaps, and it, I think it was twice. They ran it once in the red zone and once I think the the Chiefs read like the, their own twenty, where it was like cover one, but like there was two safeties standing right next to each other, and they were waiting to double either Kelsey or Tyree Kill. Yep. It, it was just like a funny looking coverage. I don't know what you would call it, but it was like cover one with two safeties in the same spot that's uh, that's funny it's that's the one probably the last thing i just posted before on the show was because i was finishing up that game there's only two like third and long or like third and medium or longs in the third and fourth quarter um uh, of the week 12 game and that's what it so that means you know what what was the the bucks game plan or a halftime adjustment did they adjust it all they're still going to run their stuff and that's what yeah, I, I saw that coverage too. It was like a one double, uh, one double eighty-seven and one double ten. They just all out doubled those two guys, and they just said man on Hardman and Watkins, and we'll just let them try and beat us. I think they might do a little bit of that. It was yeah. almost like a, it's almost like a one robber, zero robber almost look. Yeah, and I think they do that too. I think that's the only way you can kind of like live like <laughs> otherwise if you try and run man coverage we saw what happened uh hill had 250 yards <laughs> so what else can you do after that but uh no I, I agree i think that might come up a couple times i was looking up watkins props before we were recording this. i don't know he's not healthy though so i don't know but i think he, healthy? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he was big in last year's super bowl too wasn't he I, th- I feel like it's gonna be a game where if he has a good game the bucks are helpless they don't have a chance yeah yeah but it, it goes back to our warriors comparison i mean like if you're playing a team like that how do you like what's the best best hope is when they're on the bench, you go on a run or you take away any good basketball team. You take away their best players and hope somebody else beats you. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what the Chiefs have to or the Bucks have to do. It's yeah, I, I it's it's there's no real blueprint to stop this team. There isn't. You just got you got rush rush with four and hope they make a couple mistakes and hope just make it as difficult as possible on them. The bill what the Bills did in week six and then the Browns did in the wild card or divisional round. It's not an awful game plan. It's just that you got your offense has got to keep up as well, and that's what you're betting on because you just got to slow them down. That's the only and hope hope you convert some of those drives into field goals instead of touchdowns. That's the best plan. Remember, Andre Iguodala won a Finals MVP. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Great point, Nate. How concerned are you about the Chiefs' offense with their sort of restructured offensive line? They've won. Uh, one player who was supposed to be a starter in week one, and he's the center. Uh, so there's there's a lot of shuffling there. Could that be the difference? 
Yeah. <laughs> um, the Shaq Barrett's legit. Jason Pierre-Paul has played out of his mind this year. He's played really well. And, you know, and they have the big guys up front. You know, Sue is, you know, their fourth best guy now. <laughs> you know, he's there. Sue's there. DeMarcus Cousins for the Warriors. <laughs> you know, the big guy they signed. Um, it's, you know, a little better than Cousins played with the Warriors. But uh, but it it's that's the biggest they, they have to win with four and with the the chiefs all line we made the joke it's like i've been watching it i watch the chiefs offense every week i couldn't tell you who nick algretti is <laughs> or any of these guys and but it's we we've made the joke that um i would say the joke but there's the discussion that uh our sacks a qb stat and you know i think it's more of a team stat but yeah the qb definitely has influence how their their style of play is and how quickly they get the ball out and all that stuff and also the depth of routes but there's a re- reason that dan marino and peyton manning and now tom brady have always had low sack, uh, sack rates and same with patrick mahomes patrick mahomes is the only guy under the age of 35 that was in the top five for a sack percentage this year as a quarterback he can make any pressure he can manage any kind of pressure he can if you're bringing a blitz against him he knows where it's coming from his football IQ is off the charts along with his arm talent everything else he does so that he's going to make them right that's the only time it's going to be a weakness is if that ball's not out in two seconds and it's the the one strip sack that jason pierre paul had he beats the left tackle that's going to happen once or twice this game he just is but the thing is, it happened once or twice that first game, but Mahomes avoids it <laughs> and then dances around and weaves in and out of the pocket and breaks a contain and then throws it away. And as opposed to being a seven-yard loss and a drive killer, it just turns into second and 10 um, or it turns into third and five as opposed to a second and four, or third and 14. Um, that's the difference is Mahomes, no matter who's playing up front, is going to always maximize those guys. So it – most times, I, I would say 90% of the time, I would go, yeah, this is a real concern, whatever they're aligned. But I think Mahomes just covers all those blemishes. And as long as the center is seeing things right along with Mahomes, I think they're going to be okay. Um, it's just that there's going to be – I think there might be a sack or two where Shaq Barrett or Pierre Paul wins right away. And it is what it is. That just that just happens. That's football. The funny thing about that sack in the red zone when uh, Mahomes fumbled is, I think it was Sammy Watkins. Someone was wide open in the seam. If he had, yeah. had like a half more second, that's a touchdown. Yeah, and that's exactly how it plays out. Like that's that's the thing. And then in the red zone, that's only because Pierre Paul won right off the snap, and that happens. It's the red zone, so he knew he's not getting chipped. Out. He's not chip coming out to him. And Mahomes is looking at that concept like as one that the ball has to get out on time because in a red zone concept, those balls. Everything's designed. It's small space, as uh, you'll hear on Monday Night Football, as they because that's like the only point they'll bring up is you know things happen quickly down here, and it's like yeah they do. Like <laughs> it's just logical. There's less space to operate with, and uh, so that's why that's the advantage of that is that the ball has to come out, and Mahomes can't do the ad libby stuff if the rush wins right away. Right, I've seen people kind of suggest that the Bucks should maybe be more aggressive and. Force Mahomes to make these high variance throws down the field, but I like I agree with you. I think like that's where you have to get the Chiefs is you can't let them have these big plays where they're scoring from outside the twenty five yard line. Yeah. Like I'd rather have them in the red zone. I know that's kind of when they get creative with stuff, but I think it's well, easier to stop them because Mahomes can't do that ad libbing stuff. Yep, yep. Make them empty the bucket. That that's like what the Chiefs are so explosive. They only have to run a certain amount of plays 
total and just concepts. So make them get in the red zone and run all the that because red zone and third down is where stuff gets design designery as I put it. But it's make them do it. Make them they have ten low red zone pass plays. Make them run all ten. You know, just make every drive a hassle. Um, that's the only way to live against this team. And yeah, like you said, it, it's. Mahomes doesn't have that room to operate and find those windows that he can. He still does, but it's a little harder down there. Just you got to just make it hard on him as hard as possible. You're just making you're trying to annoy him as much as possible, as opposed to like we're going to take it to him and hold him to ten points. It's like no, no, no. You're going to take your licks. <laughs> it's right. just that you know. Ho- hopefully, you disrupt him just a little bit to make things happen. I find it hilarious that like we still look back at the 2018 AFC Championship game as like the the game plan that was best against the Chiefs, <laughs> and the Chiefs still scored 30 in the second half. Yeah. The, 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 uh, several people have tweeted it, but in Mahomes' starts that he's lost, they've averaged 31 points a game. 31.3 points, I think it is. That's a 500-point season. <laughs> if it, you prorate all those losses to a 16-game season, that's 500-point season. That is like the parameter for an outstanding offense so even when games that the chiefs have lost including that 13 point game against the colts they're still averaging a 500 point season so it's yeah have fun so he just doesn't have bad games and it's like for for him to be this young and to have like this level of not i mean obviously the physical skills are off the chart but just the command of the offense and Mm -hmm. where everything has to be at every single point in time it, it's crazy, uh, and you know, I, I hope we don't get bored of this because we, we got at least we got at least another decade of this coming, and probably a little bit more. But I, I every time he steps back or steps on the field, I am just in complete awe of how good he is. It's every week when you put on the film, it's just like it, it's so hard to not tweet every throw out because it's just like. <laughs> It's so hard, and it's like we all do it. I think all of us see each other tweeting it, and we're just like, I don't even care because this is ridiculous. Because like, that's yeah. what he's doing is is remarkable. Like I, 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 Robert asked me, he was like, "Who's the greatest? Is he the greatest quarterback you've seen?" And I almost snap snap answered him and said, "Yeah." Like uh, I've seen Peyton live, I've seen Favre live, I've seen Brady live, I've seen Vic live, I've seen all these outstanding guys and what Mahomes is doing is just uh, Rogers live it, it's it's something completely different it's a different animal it, it's unbelievable it's it's like when Steph Curry I'm not this is hold, hold me with this comparison hold on a sec but it's with Steph Curry's jump shooting kind of revolutionized the game but combine that with the stardom of Michael Jordan like that it's it's just this thing that it's like it's unbelievable it's it's so much fun to watch and it's like anyone that detracts from them is really freaking annoying to me because it's like we want to we we should appreciate greatness when we can like i'm actually more excited to see when the the receipts come due on the cap stuff and they have to start reconfiguring everything and seeing different iterations of Mahomes for the next decade like that's what's gonna be fun is just seeing well because right now we're gonna know this as the speed iteration is there gonna be a different version of this better or worse that's what's gonna be fun one thing that he's been doing this year, maybe he's been, he's done it before, is he's like setting up to throw to a certain side, but his head he's like looking the other way and he just snaps around and fires it without looking, and it just makes playing spot drop zone defense impossible. I feel like like yeah. I don't know how like there's the famous Nick Saban quote about like 
you can't do the spot drop when it's Marino throwing it. Like Mahomes is taking that to another level. I don't know what defense you play against them. Like what kind of defense match man zone spot drop. It just none of it works. <laughs> There's no blueprint. I know. It, like the best, my only like hope for it is yeah, have an awesome D line and you know and get a couple sacks so you slow them down a little bit and it's like you play soft stuff and hope they make mistakes because you can't blitz them it's like he's unbelievable he's on like he's god level if you try to blitz him so just what we all want to what every defense to do and just blitz them take it to the quarterback it's like well throw that entire page of your call sheet out because maybe you do it you play russian roulette six times and blitz them they're going to catch you once that's what you have to know is like every five blitzes you called, you're giving up a touchdown. It's, it's like, it's physics. Like it's inevitable. That's what, that's what the chief's offense is. So it's just a different level of stuff. It's yeah. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. Like I've never, I've seen incredible offenses before, but it's, we all have, but like, you know, we, Steven, you know, like the, the Panthers best year or Charles with the Falcons best year, 2016, 2015, you know, those teams still had weaknesses on offense. Like you could still be like, well, if we do this and limit them like this, it's like when, with my homes back there, it's just like, well, pray. <laughs> that's, all right. that's all you can do. Yeah. I think we long ago crossed the threshold of the, we underappreciate Mahomes. Like uh, there's just no way to really, uh, really quantify how good he is without like like you said it gets repetitive just talking about it week after week sending out throw after throw um you know like steven we we started looking today at doing a list of his best throws and it's just like he makes throws every game that no other quarterback would even think about trying and they end up sort of looking routine uh so he had the whole shot from the week 12 game and it's bucks ran this uh cover two invert and uh, Chiefs just ran like a classic, like out and go concept. And against that, you're, you're reading the corner and you can either hit the whole shot, which I say quarterbacks throw one out of five times, maybe. Um, and on that play, the corner is sinking to cover the whole shot, like sinking, sinking, not like, oh, he went to seven yards. Like he's like 14 yards deep. And Mahomes is late on the throw, he double hitches. And usually when you hit your double hitch, like quarterbacks are taught, like you feel that yourself, you let your feet tell you when to throw. That's Paul Chris is, is a savant and a genius. And that's the line I've always got from him is you let your feet tell you when you're, you're hot. You let your feet tell you when you're late. And so when you feel yourself late, find the check down and get your six yard gain, move on to the next play. Mahomes, rather than listening to his feet and whipping the out route and getting, it would have been like an eight yard gain to Kelsey. He throws a whole shot that like, goes up and over this corner that's 12 yards deep before the safety that's screaming over there and he hits hill at like this 18 to 20 yard mark and then hill gets popped like a little bit and goes out of bounds and it's like a 22 yard gain and it's like that that's not real (laughs) like that's that's not real shit like it's not like that is not a real throw and it's just like i even said i think it broke my brain a little bit because it's like what he's doing is not when you run cover two, you're making or two man, you're daring the quarterback to be a hero. And rather than one hero throw getting you out of it, Mahomes will shred you and like humiliate you. He'll run deep digs and hit him, hole shots and hit him, hit him down the pipe. Like it's like all these throws that one a quarterback might make once every two or three weeks that we're all like, oh my God, look at that. Mahomes does it every drive. And it's like, oh my God. Like, so yeah, have fun. <laughs> the funny so, thing is, is like the Lions fans 
and saying, oh, if, if Mahomes did this, they'd be talking about it all week on SportsCenter. Like, we only tweet out like 10% of the crazy stuff yeah. that Mahomes does. We should we could be talking about him way more often. Some of the, some yeah. of the ones we don't even tweet are like the good ones that we've seen highlights of. It's, it's the throws he's missing that it's like that we're tweeting out. That's what's ridiculous. It's like we're not even tweeting out the touchdown bombs. Like, I, I don't think I even posted any of the – the, the touchdown plays like the two the go throws to uh the go throw to hill or the over out to hill like i didn't post those i don't have to <laughs> it's like it's, it's ridiculous all right nate so all that said uh who are you picking to win this game is i i chance? i've been so what is it 17 18 19 so we're at what so i've been 20 weeks into the season i've never wavered off the chiefs and i can't now <laughs> i'm uh I I got hounded for it. I picked Mahomes as MVP. I picked Mahomes as first team All Pro. I am going. Those are always going to be my votes. <laughs> Chiefs are always going to be my favorite, and Mahomes is always going to be my MVP until proven otherwise. And so I, I can't I can't waver off of that. So I, I'm going with Chiefs. All right. Thank you for taking so much time to uh, go through all this with us. I mean, we we appreciate it. You guys, anything else we didn't hit on, guys? Is there? No, I think that's about it. <laughs> I was, was going to ask that Nate. That was pretty thorough. I was going to ask Nate to write some of the things I have to write tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no writing yet. This, that's what's great. I'm just I'm pure audio visual. It, it's awesome. So it's, it's video, 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 and podcast, baby. That's the focus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. You guys can find Nate on Twitter. He's at Nate underscore Tice. uh, And then listen to him on the Athletic Football Show, which is a a pretty good show. If you guys could lower the bar a little bit, that'd be great for the rest of (laughs) us. Uh, That would be wonderful. Uh, But yeah, do find Nate. And Nate, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you guys so much for having me. That was great. Yeah, man, I, I think uh, I think Nate would just he would he would go forever. He loves talking football, <laughs> and we are we are we are so biased toward offense too. Like we yeah. we tend to focus a lot on on offense too. But Nate, uh, I mean, he, I mean, his his ex, like knowledge is insane. Like I don't maybe maybe that's just how football coaches are. I mean, I've been around a fair number, but like the way that he is just able to pull things out of his head is wild. Yeah, that's what happens when you grow up with one of the most renowned offensive line coaches of this century yeah. football. Yeah, that's a great uh, Maryland Terrapin too. Don't forget uh, 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 a chirp, a chirp. Let's get let's let's give some love to some, to the defense though, because uh, uh, you know it's important as well. It's uh, it wins championships. It turns in it. It wins. Maybe it'll win a championship on Sunday. Maybe that's the the that's the Bucks' chance, man. Like they, if that if they can get to Mahomes without uh without having to bring extra players, that's that's the potential difference here. So, uh, we're gonna kick it to Deontay Lee, bring him in. He's gonna talk about how he sees these defenses and uh, what he expects to happen on Sunday. Okay, next we're going to bring in Deontay Lee uh, of Pro Football Focus, recently minted Pro Fo- Football Focus writer. Deontay, what's up, man? How are you? Thank you for having me on. I'm definitely glad to be talking with you guys. Um, your co-hosts have been in contact with me. You know, I've had a good relationship with them for a while, and it's been my goal to jump on everybody's podcast, so I'm glad to be doing this. I, I'm First of all, Corman, you called them by the wrong name. It is now PFF Deontay. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm still gonna call him Coach Deontay. Uh, I like that better. Deontay, do you call other coaches Coach? Is it like one of those things where 
Are you in on that? No, I am a first name person. <laughs> okay, I, I, I call people what their mothers call them. <laughs> I love the coaches that well, call like non-coaches coach. Like they call everyone in their life coach. <laughs> this is a good bit. You can't call uh, Stephen what his mother calls him because it's we're not allowed to air that. So. <laughs> I don't actually talk to my mom. Thanks. I know that's why she calls you that, man. <laughs> Come on, it's an Aaron Rodgers situation. Yeah, no, I'm uh, just kidding. Deontay, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, the first time on our pod, I hope you'll be a regular guest. We're thrilled to have you. But tell us a little bit about your uh, football journey, just for our listeners to get to know you. So, went to uh, Sacramento State um, in 2011. Played football there for a few years. By around my junior year, I kind of realized that I had tapped out, you know, on all things football player-wise. Um, I came back home to San Diego, which is where I'm from, and my dad was coaching at my high school alma mater. So I did that for a couple years, bounced around to a couple other high schools over the past three seasons. And in that time, I got connected with Chuck, actually. Um, and he was one of the first one of the first people kind of based on what I was saying on Twitter that encouraged me to write. So I had like my own little individual blog back in 2015 and that kind of grew. And then I opened up a website of my own. I worked for like inside the pylon for about a year or so. And I freelanced with like fan sided and stuff like that. And now, um, as you mentioned, I'm working with PFF. I've uh, done some work with cleveland.com covering the Ohio state Buckeyes. So I've kind of touched about every corner and level of football up to this point. And I think I'm, I found my stride a little bit on the writing end. So I'm hoping I can make a real future out of this. Yeah, it's great. We're, we're excited to see, see what you come up with in PFF, like the amount of information they have and what you'll be able to do with that. Uh, you know, I think we're all thrilled to see that. So we, uh, we brought you on to talk about defense. Uh, we had Nate Tyson earlier in the show to talk about these offenses. And we started the conversation with him by basically saying like, Hey, if you had to summarize this in a simple way, if you had to sort of characterize each defense, just sort of like a top level summary of them, what would you say about uh, those, those units? And I'm wondering if you could do the same thing, for uh, the defensive side with us, just like the most basic thing to, to help us understand these units. Right. So I think the first thing I'll start with Tampa Bay. Um, and I kind of made mention of this, like the way that I look at Tampa Bay and how they play defense, it's very reminiscent of what you might remember when you were a kid or like your dad's style of defense. <laughs> where like we're playing base defense, you know, three, four, five, two stuff. We're going to put as many people up by the line of scrimmage as possible, play man um, and send a bunch of pressure. And then when we think you're going to pass, then we'll put an extra DB on the field and play like your typical kind of cover four, cover two stuff. When I look at Spags, he's more interesting. I think that it's the same kind of approach. We're just using different personnel when we're talking about uh, Kansas City. So now, instead of playing like your 3-4 stuff, he's playing out of nickel when he's trying to stop the run. Now, they're not very good at it, but that's how he approaches it. Um, and then when he, want, when he thinks pass is coming, he's going to put another DB on the field and play with six DBs. And that's when you see him kind of like doubling guys and playing all these different kind of coverages where safeties are flying in and out in all, all which all different kinds of directions. So in some ways, it's it's very easy to recognize a philosophy. They go about it two different ways. And the personnel is really what kind of paints the differences between these two different these two defenses. 
So, like, no matter how much I study these different types of match coverages, I always end up forgetting them. So, when I'm watching the Chiefs, I can recognize that they're doing some of this this match stuff, but I don't know, like, I don't know what to call it. But from you watching, like, what kind of coverages are you seeing, and and who are some other coaches? Like, at the college ranks is when you really see these match coverages. Is there any coach that he's reminiscent of with his his coverage calls? Not really, honestly. Like. I don't have much of a point of reference for what they do coverage wise, because when they're playing like the bracket stuff, which I know some people like in the coaching community and someone like the football media community now, because these two worlds are starting to intermingle a little bit. I think people think everything that's kind of too high is either two man or something out of like the Nick Saban playbook. It's not really that simple with, with spags. Like there are some times where it's legit man, and they're putting two guys on, you know, a receiver. So if you watch them play the Bills, one thing that they like to do with Stephon Diggs is run him on, like, those deep over routes. So they have Matthew and Legereus Sneed on him. And then on the other end, like, the single receiver to the opposite side is running a streak or something like that. And they've got two guys on him. That's not really, like, a man match or where they're, like, switching coverages so it's more just kind of like straight man and we're putting brackets on guys and you don't see a lot of teams do that. Um, and then, you know, the thing that they do most when they're covering, which is like their cover two stuff. If you watch it, there's really no point of reference for that. A, because they're always playing single high. They're always showing single high. So it's hard to get a feel for how guys are rotating and where some teams kind of like to play dime and nickel with extra corners he likes to do it with safeties, which gives him a little bit more kind of like versatility um, in how they rotate the defense. So you'll see what looks like single high with Tyron Matthews standing in the middle of the field. And then all of a sudden he's rolling down and he's playing like the middle hole in cover two. Mm-hmm. And Sorensen goes from standing at the line of scrimmage and now he's flying back and he's got a half of the field. So it's it's very creative and unique. I don't really have much of a point of reference for him. Uh, so what about the Bucks? Like when I watch them, I'm seeing like a lot of spot drop, especially when they're in base. And it seems like you can kind of manipulate them into getting into base. Like when the Chiefs played them, it was like 12 personnel. They were matching with base every time. And I just don't know how you live in that world against the Chiefs. Like if you're Todd Bowles, you have two weeks to prepare. You've been doing this stuff all year. What's your approach to these two weeks? Are you changing stuff up? Or are you going to just try to, you know, tweak what you've been doing? If I'm Bowles, I mean, and one of the reasons why I'm concerned for them defensively is because I think they kind of shot all their guns when they played Kansas City earlier in the year. I don't know how much new he'll have. But if you go back and look at like the personnel splits, they played three quarters of that game in nickel. So I think he already kind of understands that he can't really play base. And the reason why you can't play base against them is when the Chiefs are in 12 personnel, it's really 11 because Kelsey is a wide receiver. He just happens to be this enormous sized wide receiver. Um, And the same when they're at 11, like you almost have to treat Kelsey like a wide receiver. So it's really 10 personnel. You have to treat it like four wide, even though he's a tight end body. So if I'm him, I'm going to be in nickel. They don't really have the personnel to play dime, but I'm going to go. I'm going to be in nickel no matter what they put on the field. And if they beat me running the ball 28 times, then you know, good for you, Kansas City. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that I don't think that they can play base a because 
that brings on another defensive lineman type body. And for their personnel, they don't need extra defensive linemen. Like between Sue and Pierre Paul and Jack Bear, like they have enough pass rush wise. You don't have to have five down linemen to play defense for them. So that's that's one thing. And then the other thing is that like because they play like that five two kind of bear front style of defense there's only so much you can do coverage wise. Like you're either playing cover one or you're playing cover two. There's not a whole lot else to it. So how do you go about game planning for someone like Kelsey? Because I mean, at some point you have to just know that you're going to get roasted at at some spots in the game, but just as an initial plan, because I remember when I was going through the, uh, his targets from uh, their first game, like they did spot drop zone, and Mahomes just found him sitting down. They tried to cover him with Levante David, and he was just torching him too. Like, if you had to pick someone from the Bucks secondary to put on him, who would you pick? And then what's the downside of, like, pulling a player to have him just spy on Kelsey the whole time? So, I mean, the initial thought is that you put a guy like Carlton Davis on him because at least that's the, that's the type of corner they have that can move around inside and out. And that's what they like to do with Kelsey is kind of move him around. So – the issue with that, obviously, is that for every cover guy you put on the tight end, you're now leaving these track stars, you know, in coverage against safeties or lesser corners. But he's their number one receiver. You know, like if you watch when they play again, when they played against the Bills, even though I do think there's a good game plan to say, hey, Kelsey can have all the underneath stuff. The problem with that is that that can actually end up being a 15 reception game for him. So it is kind of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But if the idea is really you want to take a guy away, then yeah, you do put a guy like Davis or just whoever is your best cover guy on Kelsey. And then you kind of got to make the sacrifice of, do I need to put two bodies on Hill or do we have to change the coverage stuff? I don't know if you can single cover any of these guys, to be honest, but if you're going to, it has to be your best corner on Kelsey. You're definitely not putting Carlton Davis on Tyreek Hill again. No, I'll say that. <laughs> Absolutely not. That, that, was, that did not end well. Yeah, that was crazy because last game they put him on, on Carl Davis and Tyreek, and Tyreek was like, all right, bet. Like, we're just going to run this crossing route over the field. Mahomes going to drift back 50 yards, and they're just going to launch it over the moon for a million touchdowns. Like, it, it just – it's so hard to to be bold and and want to run your, run your stuff and stop this offense because, like, there really is no stopping it. It's almost like you just have to like, – you, you just have to accept that you're going to give a big play somewhere and – uh, I guess if you're Tampa Bay, like, just you, you got to find spots where you can hold on for dear life. But when you're constructing a game plan or when you're constructing the strategy guide, like, it's hard to even know where those points end up, like where you where you think you can hold on for dear life, because Mahomes just kind of breaks any math that you can do on defense. Right. And for them, for specifically for Tampa Bay, the things that they'd have to do, I think, to try to contain this offense is so anti what they've been all year. They're a pressure team and they're a man team. And if you go back and watch when they played Kansas city, they base they only blitzed 10 out of like the 54 pass snaps that, that were there. And if you go back and watch like three of those snaps ended up in touchdowns for Kansas city. So, you know, like by the end of the second quarter, I think that Bulls kind of understood like, okay, we have to throw all of our, blitz game plan in the trash and one of those was that over route to Tyreek Hill then they tried to blitz and play like you know that three deep three under fire zone type stuff and Tyreek Hill just runs a runs a go route and runs right by (laughs) Davis you know so again damned if you do damned if you don't you have to whatever is going to be game plan wise it can't look anything like what they've done throughout the season because that's just not going to suffice 
So like the the most dangerous formation from the Chiefs when I'm watching them seems to be that three by one. They have Kelsey to one side. They have Tyree Kill lined up at number three. Tampa Bay, when they saw that, it seemed like they were playing like, I don't know what you want to call it, solo coverage or whatever, where the backside safety is poaching number three. They lock up Kelsey and man coverage. What is your concern? If you're in that coverage, like what is your concern about that configuration with Kelsey on that, that isolated and then Hill at number three? And how can you kind of combat what they do out of those looks? So that coverage specifically, the issue with it is that to play that kind of like solo or poach coverage, everybody has a different name for it where you're playing cover four and the safety to the single receiver side is actually king, the number three receiver to the trip side. The issue with that is that you do have to play one-on-one on the back end. And that's how a guy like Kelsey gets those, those slants, those glances, the drag routes, you know, corner routes. And again, like he is a receiver. People have, you know, tried to draw comparisons to Gronk, who is another extremely productive guy, even when you split him outside. But with Kelsey, if you go and just watch the way he moves and the way he plays in his route tree, he plays like a true X receiver. Um, So they have the full complement of their offense. You know, when he split out, they don't have any trouble saying, "Okay, we will run the over route with Kelsey and the drag or a slant with or excuse me, the overall with Hill and the drag or slant with Kelsey, but they can run any other variation of their passing offense out of that set as well. So the poaching stuff, the solo coverage, it is great for taking away that overall from Hill and they covered that fine. But again, the issue is that, you know, you can't live off of giving up these eight, nine, you know, to 12 to 15 yard completions against Kelsey in single coverage. The only other thing that they've done that I thought was interesting throughout the season is playing like cover four on one side and cover two on the other. Um, And I think that's interesting if you're playing cover two to the trip side because the Chiefs offense isn't really trying to throw the ball all the way out to the far split out receiver to the trip side. So you can kind of steal some bodies back, you know, in the center of the formation without actually having to play cover three. And then you still get the same effect of we're robbing that you know, that over route from, um, from Hill. And, you know, we're just going to kind of live with Kelsey in one-on-one coverage, but we're shrinking the field, you know, in, in a way. Right, do you want to talk about the Chiefs defense? Because I feel like the Bucks defensive plan is just like pray Mahomes stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. I want to hit on, I want to hit on one thing before. Deontay, will the fact that, the Chiefs are essentially playing like their second string offensive line. Does that change anything that the Bucks want to do defensively? Like, uh, you know, we're all sitting here trying to wonder, like, what can they do? I, it, but it seems like there is like we're going into this game like that is sort of the narrative is like, well, there are some injuries there. Is there something there that can be ex- exploited? That would be the one pathway to a good day for the Bucks defense that I see is they still have their full complement of pass rushers and Kansas city is down their two tackles. Like that, maybe that ends up being the mitigating factor. But to me, like when you look at the way that they'll roll Mahomes out or just let him extend plays, like um, when I had, when I was speaking with uh, Keegan, which I know you guys had on as well on uh, the PFF podcast, like, and he brought up the wide splits and one of that, uh, that the chiefs play with up front and, The reason why you can do stuff like that is because you can trust your quarterback to take a 15-yard drop back if he needs to because he can still throw an accurate ball 30 yards down the field if he has to. Um, 
But if there is one spot in the game where they can kind of, you know, reequate, you know, their odds, it would be up front. But again, I mean, you can't blitz the guy because he's freakish against the blitz and you can't play man. So with that, you're playing soft zone coverage. And like Chuck said, you're kind of just holding on for dear life and praying that a guy doesn't slip or fall or just get burnt, you know, down the field. Before we move on to the Chiefs defense, I, I had one more question. That was about RPOs. And mm-hmm. when the Chiefs get into, and they did this in the Week 12 game, they got into 11 personnel. They put three receivers to one side. I think it might have been Kelsey on the other side. And they ran, I don't, I guess it was, I don't know if the number three was running a stick or a, like a, just an in breaking route. But the Bucks were playing, I think they were trying to set the three technique away from the back. And it was putting a lot of pressure on that linebacker uh, who I guess had to be in the B gap and guard that little sticker out. What way can the Bucks kind of adjust that front to better cover that, that stick routing and maybe force the, the handoff instead of the throw? So this is something that, and I wrote about Brandon Staley because he does this a bunch, um, especially against RPO teams. One thing that defenses like to do to alleviate that stress is ask the safety away from the trip side to be a run fitter. So what that means is like, basically you're just, you're turning that safety into a linebacker type and then moving what was your linebacker out in the coverage. So you can do that. The issue with that is that that would be something that the Bucks have not done throughout the course of the season. So I would not expect it. If they were looking for an answer, that would be it. You push that linebacker out to where you're playing like truly four over three. So you have a numbers advantage in coverage, and then you're playing man-to-man on the single receiver side. And then you're asking your safety to do two things, which is, you know, fit the run if it comes to you. But if it is pass, now you have to go back to playing that kind of robber technique on that number three receiver. It's one of the reasons why a lot of schools, you know, in college, which is usually my focal point in coverage, uh, and who I cover in the sport, teams don't like to do that very often because it is a big ask. And when you're talking about the fastest player in the NFL, you know, it could be, you know, one play action and you throw the ball over the guy's head. And now it's, you know, an 80 yard touchdown when you thought you were getting RPO or you're trying to find this perfect coverage um, for the RPO. Man, the more I think about it, the more I think it makes sense for them to go into like a three, three, five kind yeah. of look, like and get in that bare front and t- maybe take one of those linebackers off the field. It'd probably probably be uh, Devin White. I don't know if they're going to do it, but it like that just seems like the answer to a lot of their problems that they mm-hmm. have. I'd agree with that. I'd agree yeah. with that. And, and at least you give yourself a chance to where if you feel like you have to pressure you're pressuring with fast guys or you have like a little bit more kind of like multiplicity with mm-hmm. how you pressure, you have some more options because the way that their defense is set up now, I mean, you kind of know where they're coming from. If they're going to blitz, they're going to blitz with their backers because they don't want their backers in coverage. Um, you know, so it, you're kind of just waiting for waiting and seeing if the chiefs can figure you out and blow you up. That's kind of the game that they're playing just out of their typical yeah. defense. So the, like, like Bowles, Spagnolo likes to blitz a lot. But is there like a difference between how they attempt to pressure and what is it? Yes. So for them, their pressure is all scheme, whereas Tampa Bay, it's actually having good pass rushers. Spags is trying to scheme up free rushers. So when I look through the ultimate data of of all eight playoff teams who have at least 100 um, 
playoff pass rush snaps, Kansas City basically doubles the next team in unblocked pressures. It's like it's like a twenty-one to eleven margin. So that, but if you look at like their pressure rates, it's not extremely high. If you look at like their unblocked defender or win rates, it's like middle of the pack in that group as well. So what that's saying to me is that Spags is drawing up blitzes with the ex, with the explicit purpose of trying to get a DB free running at the quarterback. I think that he understands based on personnel, the only real pass rusher that they have is Chris Jones. And you can't live in a world, you know, unless you have an Aaron Donald type, which is like the greatest interior pass rusher that we've ever seen. You can't really live with just playing like we'll rush for and expect our interior guy to beat a guard and a center and still be in the quarterback's face. So that's kind of their approach to it. Um, like I mentioned, when they're in nickel, that's when they want to pressure. Um, and that that's their approach. You know, they're going to play. They're going to show press man all the time. And they're going to try to pressure as much as possible because they don't really have the linebackers or the edge guys to either stop the run or get after the passer in like their regular nickel defense. So, Deontay, what? It, oh, go ahead, Chuck. If you're Kansas City, how how nervous are you about these wide receivers that you're about to go up against? Because I know yeah. that uh, guys like Snead and uh, you know Breland even had a nice little game last week, but you know they, they aren't household names in the same way, like. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, right. Antonio Brown, even Rob Gronkowski and Flashes. Like, how how concerned are you if you're Steve Spagnuolo about the the receivers you're, receivers you're about to face? In a word, extremely. Um, Steve, Stephen, I, I think I heard this from you that they're like the only team that has had four receivers that have each had 1,300 yard receiving seasons. Like, that's an unprecedented level of production in terms of like their passing options. And obviously Gronk is not that same guy that he was when he was getting over a thousand yards receiving. What I would say for Kansas city is that they're one of the teams that is kind of uniquely equipped to handle that because they're comfortable playing in dime. They're extremely comfortable playing in dime. They play the major or not majority, but a plurality of their snaps out of dime about 44, 44, 45%. So, from a coverage perspective, I think if you're Spags, it's not ideal, obviously. You'd rather not see teams with three legit, like, number one receiving types and a good tight end. Um, but they have the personnel, or at least they live in a personnel grouping that would give them the best shot of covering these guys. What's the plan against Brady now? Like, what what do you have to do to, to rattle Brady? And, and how has it changed over the last few years? Like, as he's gotten older, uh, what what is different about how teams have to approach him? I, I don't know if it's particularly different. I think the teams that have succeeded the most. So if you think of like the 2010s Ravens, um, the Jets in the 2010s, um, it's teams that can play man-to-man coverage and send five or six guys after them. And that's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. There's a reason why not many teams are successful doing it. It does require you to stand up in man-to-man coverage while sending extra rushers. Um, you know, you can't really play zone against the guy, at least not a bunch of zone, because he is so good at identifying those matchups, finding the seams, and um, exploiting you in that way. And when you're in man, one thing that he's been able to do, you know, both in New England and now in Tampa Bay, now that he's become a lot more familiar and comfortable with Arians' offense, is finding those mismatches um, in man coverage. So if you're Spags, I think that, you know, you kind of have to live with what his MO is all the time, which is trying to send 
send pressure at guys, send one more than the offense can block and stand up in man coverage and then disguise when you are going to go to zone um, by getting into those dime packages and rotating those safeties in a thousand different directions. Before we started recording, you you mentioned that in Spags, Andy has kind of found his modern day Jim Johnson, who was his defensive coordinator back when they were going to the NFC Championship every year in Philly. What did you mean by that? And and how are they similar? Are there any ways that they're different? So, I mean, obviously, football has changed since then. And when I started looking at film of Spags, the first thing I did was go back to like that 2007 season when they won uh, the Super Bowl over that 18 and 0 Patriots team. And like one of the first things you notice is that football is just a different sport now, you know, from then. Um, and so now, you know, taking it back, you know, three or four years prior to that, when Jim Johnson was kind of at his peak with the Eagles, um, it is a different sport. It's different in terms of personnel, but the philosophy is the same. So it's trying to pressure, trying to pressure offenses as much as possible, which is something that I believe that Andy Reid believes in, you know, or has believed in for the entirety of his career. If you look at all of the best teams that he's had, it's always been a good offense complemented by an extremely aggressive defense. And some of the worst years he had in Philly was when he had a more conservative uh, defense, a less blitzing defense, or, you know, not as good of cover got man cover guys. So I think that that, we're kind of looking at, you know, like the ultimate realization of what he believes in from a football philosophical standpoint. He wants to blitz as often as possible with DBs, putting extra DBs on the field if you have to, and trying to play man or at least showing the threat of playing or sending pressure and playing man and then being able to drop out and do a bunch of different things after you've established that as a credible threat. If you had to pick one defensive player from either team, you're building a defense from, from scratch. It could be any scheme you want. Who would it be? Oof, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. Um, I mean, Math, Matthew is the most versatile guy. Mm -hmm. So I think if I'm thinking strictly in terms of like how much I can do on defense with one particular player, it's him. Um, a lot of the guys on the Bucks, like, I would love to take a Levante David or, you know, or a Devin White um, as a line, as a former linebacker. You know, I do have a soft spot in my heart for actual good linebackers, but you don't get the same kind of return on investment that you do with a guy like Matthew. If you watch Kansas City play, you might see Tyron Matthew screaming off the edge one play on a blitz, then, you know, covering a tight end the next play, then actually out on a slot receiver or a receiver split outside, you know, on the next play. He might be dropped deep in like halves coverage, playing cover two. He might be like a middle hole player in Tampa two. There's so many different things that he does on, on the field. Just kind of by default in terms of versatility, I think it's him. He might he might be the best at that whole player in Tampa two in the league right now, which is kind of I mean that's traditionally a linebacker like you think of Brian Urlacher, but I think he's the best at it right now. I, one of my favorite plays of his came last season in that uh, Kansas City the Chargers uh, Chargers game. Yep, yep I know in Mexico City where they had that crazy Tampa two rotation and Philip Rivers didn't even see him coming, and he gets a pick off of that, and that just kind of goes to show what happens when you marry a player that's as versatile as that with a mad scientist on defense like Spagnuolo's been. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that or you know, kind of switching gears a little bit, but like how much are you worried about Kansas City secondary being exposed because that front four is like outside of Chris Jones like it's not it's not a good unit. I mean, 
Frank Clark has not really done much of anything this year. Derek Nandi is more of a run stopper than a pass right. rusher. He goes for Mike Pennell. And it's not just that they're uh, – it's not just that the the Chiefs defensive line is kind of lacking in talent outside the top guy, but Tampa Bay's offensive line is, is pretty damn good, like outside of, uh, you know, this random Aaron Stimmy guy that they got. <laughs> not a real player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he never started a Man, that's a Madden-generated name. <laughs> yeah, he never started a game until the playoffs this year. So like that, that's a weak link, but, you know, I mean, I, I say this as a survivor of Super Bowl 51, like once that pass rush starts dying down, or if Tom Brady has an offensive line that's just going to stonewall guys, and I think he does, but Jensen and, and Marpet and Worf just kind of locking dudes down in the interior, that seems like a spot where I, I don't know if it's enough for Tampa Bay to win the game, but I do think it's enough for them to at least keep it close and score some points. Like, how how concerned are you about that front four being able to generate a pass rush? Um, very to me, like. Based on like my personality type and the way that I like to see football, I am more excited about watching Spags' defense. So I might sound a little bit more optimistic about them, but they have some of the same issues that they have to sort out as Tampa Bay does. Because if they can't get pressure without sending five or six guys, it's going to be trouble. You know, because if you have to live in a world where you're always sending that pressure, I mean, you can try to man up you know, a Mike Evans or a Chris Godwin one-on-one, you know, and, and pray, but chances are you're going to get beat um, more than once, you know? So I would be concerned about how often they can get real pressure that actually affects the throw. It's one thing to just hurry a guy or maybe take him off of his primary or his perfect look. It's another thing to get real pressure that, you know, actually affects the quality of the throw actually affects the depth of target, you know, uh, and those types of things. So if I'm KC, I'm thinking like maybe we need to try to blitz as early and as often as possible, see if we can kind of shake him up a little bit. Maybe we try to force a turnover, and then later on in the game we can start playing a little bit more conservatively. Because one mm-hmm. thing that, you know, that I've said, you know, with the, PFF, with the PFF guys when we've talked about the game is the greatest gift that Spags has is an offense, an offense that you know the opponent has to score 35 points to beat. So, like, to me, if I'm Spags, I'm thinking as long as as long as, you know, there isn't some turf toe flare up for Mahomes or his arm doesn't fall off, you know, and his barber didn't cough on him. Then, <laughs> you know, I think that we have we have a good reason to feel pretty good about the game, but they will have some issues as far as getting pressure on the quarterback. That's not going to be blitzes. Or, or his mom wasn't wearing her mask, right? <laughs> <laughs> which would be on brand. But uh yeah, I, I think when you have Mahomes, you can you can make those coin flip play calls where it's either you you're scoring or they're scoring, and I right. I think you have that freedom. And I'll say this about that first game: whenever they showed blitz and or whenever they brought more than four, Brady was trying to get rid of that ball in a hurry. He was not waiting around to see if they were going to pick up the blitz. I don't think he wants to get hit at all this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see that in the Super Bowl if he's getting rid of the ball early. Yeah, I mean. Even the Packers game, like that horrible pick that he threw that was like very early Jared Goffian where there's pressure <laughs> coming and it's just like I'm going to crumple my body up and just heave it and don't hit me, don't hit me, don't hit me type of type of throw. Right. He threw a pick on. Like I think it's pretty clear now that even more than before or earlier in his career, he is very uncomfortable by the idea of an unblocked rusher, you know, or he's not going to wait to see if, 
his running backs can pick them up in protection. A, because they're not very good at it. (laughs) Because he does not want to be hit. And he is susceptible to throwing some, some terrible balls under pressure. I mean, he spent a lot of money on that face, so I would I don't blame him for wanting to protect the investment. <laughs> I get it, exactly. And, you know, you gotta keep Giselle happy. <laughs> there's also that there's also that screen pass when he just like spiked it right when he got the snap. Like he might have spiked that faster than he does when he's like trying to stop the clock. Yeah, that was a, a very clear nope. Not even not even <laughs> there's a chance. No. Uh Deontay, do you, you think the the bucks have any chance here what's what's your feeling on how this game is going to actually end up so in terms of game flow what i would expect is something kind of similar to the 2017 super bowl between my beloved eagles and the patriots i do think there's going to be a lot of scoring on both ends um i just don't see how based on the film from a defensive perspective i don't see how tampa bay can contain can contain kansas city's offense enough to keep them from putting up 35, 38, 41 points. On the other end, I do think that Kansas City can generate just enough pressure on Brady to maybe keep them keep them at arm's length. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of explosive offense early in the game. And then when it becomes clear that Tampa Bay has to pass the ball to stay, you know, within arm's reach, that that's when Kansas City, you know, really is able to kind of shut the door on them. Give us a score. I'm going to go with... 45-34. The game's going to be 15 to 12 now, and we're going to forward and, and blaming Deontay. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, then let me turn the question on you guys before we get out. How do you guys see the game going? Uh, one team has Patrick Mahomes, the other doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chuck, Chuck is succinct, man. He, <laughs> I think my prediction was 34-23. Okay. Which is like yours, but just like 10 points off modest. each team. Yeah. 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 I'm surprised because you're a defensive guy. You're supposed. You're not supposed to be predicting the scores. I like didn't that. say I was going to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, Deontay, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate you taking the time. What, uh, what do you have coming up? What are you working on writing for PFF? So actually, I am taking a look at the film to marry up with the data on Spagnuolo's defense and trying to see what nice. makes it so different in the playoffs. Um, so that's first. And then after that, I'm also going to take a look at what the hell happened to Baltimore's passing game and see if like this is truly a Greg Roman problem or if it's just a personnel issue. So those will probably be the two things that you see for me more uh, more frequently or more recently. And then other than that, you can always find me on the PFF uh, College Football Podcast with Seth Galina. Yeah, we don't like Seth. Yeah, no, 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 Seth, no <laughs> Seth mentions on this. <laughs> He's been blackballed from the counter for what he did to bets. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you so much, man. And uh, I'm sure we will talk to you again at some point. Thanks for having me, guys. Right. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right. All right, guys, this is it. This is this is we, we sort of made our predictions. I think we're all we all know that we, we expect the Chiefs to win this game. But what are the closing thoughts, your final uh, feelings, analysis, whatever? Just throw it out here. What do we need to know before we go into this the Super Bowl? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't want to get boring and just keep coming back to Patrick Mahomes. But like, <laughs> but, 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 I don't think like we are at a point where 
the Chiefs offensive line has just been completely decimated by injury. And it doesn't and matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Right. Like they're going up against Vita Vea, Jason Pierre Paul, and Don Kinsu, Shaq Barrett, four aggressively <laughs> good defensive linemen, all with a wide array of skills and strengths that make them, you know, makes them worthy of playing the Super Bowl. And no one cares. Like, you got Mahomes. He's going to run out the pocket. He's going to close his eyes and throw the ball 60 yards in a dime halfway across the field. And it's like, what can you do about that? So that, that's kind of how I feel. It's like the, the Stephen A. video where he's like, I'm here to tell you, we don't care. <laughs> we, don't we don't care. care. <laughs> I actually, I want to make a super cut of Chuck uh, once once we have free time, which I don't know when that'll be, but of just him being like, they have Mahomes. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Mahomes. Like, Mahomes is just going to chuck it 60. Like, we'll just do him chuck just lauding the homes uh that's uh yeah that's that's pretty much how we see this game and uh you know we'll be around sunday follow us on twitter at fourverts at the steven ruiz at chris corman we'll be tweeting some thoughts there uh tons of blogging will be happening over at for the win we'll have some analysis post i'm sure and we're going to shoot a quick video with our immediate reaction and then monday morning we'll have a full show we'll we'll dig in on this and uh try to explain to the best of our ability what ever happened uh We'll see if if we're if Tom Brady makes us look dumb and and goes out there and wins his what would this be seventh Super Bowl? Yeah, that's too many. That's, that's too much. Too, that's too many. Too too many. Uh, thanks so much for joining us throughout the whole season. Uh, I hope you'll stick with us the next couple of days, and uh, we'll let you know about Patrick Mahomes probably. <laughs> All right, everybody, take care. We'll see you next time. The counter. An NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. 